Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Aaron Morton. Aaron is a confidence coach and the creator of the UK-based The Confidence Lounge, where he works with ambitious introverts looking to excel in their careers. He's also a personal trainer for Absolute Health, a UK-based company that helps professionals be fit and healthy. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem. Aaron, could you talk to us a little bit about your background and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I uh, I started uh, a few years ago. I, I, um, I did, I went to university and I did a number of courses around NLP and, and hypnosis, hypnotherapy. And um, what, what I did when I left university, I went into a, an office job, as you tend to do when you leave university just to get some money. And I ended up um, meeting a, uh, a personal trainer, and we were going to do a course that revolved around uh, weight loss, but also working with the mind. And as I uh, as this transcended, I ended up being a, a personal trainer as a result of that. Uh, and so, for the last few years, I've been working uh, at both a, a coach and a personal trainer, uh, working around. So I've, I ended up working in uh, a number of domains, helping people in a number of different areas. So. I've worked in uh, working as a personal trainer, helping people uh, losing weight. I've also worked with uh, business, um, business startups, helping them um, more in the strategy and their mindset, and then also working in the therapy um, realm, working with all sorts, basically, for hypnotherapy. And a number of factors that I found in one of the main areas was around the area of confidence. Um, so I thought... Uh, about a year ago was to start up a website that basically combined all of the things that I've learned and up came the Confidence Lounge. And what the Confidence Lounge is, is helping busy professionals um, who are just starting off in their career, looking to get almost like the edge in, in where they're going in their career. And um, and I found that that introverts are, are the ones that that I work with best. So I work, I work with introverts mainly, but essentially the, the concepts that I work with in, in the confidence lounges can be used across multiple domains. So at the moment I've, I've reached where I am at, at the confidence lounge. That's great. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys who are out there who I think would describe themselves, who are listening to this podcast, who would describe themselves as introverts, what are some of the most common challenges that you find with the guys you're working with and what can they do to overcome them? Uh, the most common challenges I find is that they, that they, te- they, <laughs> one, one thing can be, it can be confidence. Uh, uh, it can be the, the area of, they have this, they have the skill set and it's about bringing it out into the open. So, for example, I had this graphic designer once, and I, I look at graphic. I had this guy uh, who was um, showing me all the stuff that he'd done in, uh, on the computer, and it's awesome. You know, <laughs> some of the stuff that he came up with is unbelievable. And then I said, you know, you should turn this into a business, like. Um, and he you know, he was like, yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't quite know what to do and things and. And uh, whilst there is a competency thing there, there is also a putting your head out there and, you know, getting out there and and showing people your work. So there is that factor. The other thing is the actual skill set in regards to they have the competence 
um, to do and to do what they need to do. But it's getting the other skills, like the conversational skills, the um, the the mindset to to go for what you want, the the um, the thinking skills in in going out there and and doing what you need to do to get promoted. Um, how to how to do well in an interview, and all of these kind of mindset confidence skills that some people take for granted, but other people, it's there, it's all in there. They have all the, the all have the capacity to do it. It's just um, it's just having a coach to to facilitate that along the way. It's funny you talked about design, and it made me think of the story. Did you ever read? I think it was Steve Jobs' biography. Did you ever read Steve Jobs' biography? No, but I, I've um, I read a lot about him on Steve Jobs. I'm sitting here on an iMac, right? And I'm doing this this interview with you. And yeah. there's these all these like really pretty things on the bottom, like for all the different apps, right? And so when you click on it, they get bigger uh, to let you know that you're hovering over them and you can scroll across them. And it's just like this really beautiful design. And I think it's in that book. They told a story about how this guy went into an interview or it's part of the Steve Jobs mythology or whatever. This guy went into an interview. He interviewed for a design position. Basically, they thought he was stupid or whatever from my memory. And then as he was leaving, he said, wait, there's something I want to show you. And he showed him that toolbar. And it turned out the guy was a genius. Like he made this beautiful design that all people who have Macs use and appreciate. I'm assuming they appreciate it. I mean, I, I love it. It was one of the things that I first noticed about Macs when I got my first one six or seven years ago that really stood out versus some of the other computers that were in the market at the time. And the reason why I told that story is one, you said something that reminded me of it, but two, if that person, maybe if they would have had more confidence, maybe they would have done better in the interview, but if they didn't have the very least to uh, have the confidence to stop, I think it was Jobs, uh, to say, hey, look, you yeah. need to look at this. None of us would benefit from who have Macs from this extraordinary feature that so many people appreciate. And I think that there's a lot of people who are listening to this who feel like, hey, I have great things to offer, right? I have great ways that I can contribute if people would just listen, right? People should just listen to me. And the reality is, that we live in a crowded world with lots of messages that bombard us constantly. And sometimes wonderful ideas get filtered out and you have to develop exactly what you're talking about. You see where I'm going with the story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like that, uh, and sometimes what you're, what you're saying there, I mean, in regards to the Apple thing, it takes, it takes a company that, that, that is open to allow that to happen. I mean, like, although I don't think they do that, do it so much anymore, uh, Google used to have the 20% of your work um, work life, you, you go on your own projects. And that, that's how a lot of the Google products came about, that you could spend your own time doing it. Now, for that to happen, Google would have to have, been a, have, have a place where they could accept ideas. There's no point doing it if, if they're never going to accept any of the ideas. So it has to be open. And I remember hearing a story that um, I think the Frappuccino from Starbucks was, uh, was created by a, someone that works as a barista in the, in the Starbucks store. So it takes an openness from a company to be able to accept these ideas from, from people that aren't necessarily responsible for coming up with those ideas. And the other thing is that, and you, you probably know as, as a dating coach, is that it, this takes someone to, to, to pick out the aspects of someone's internal story to uh, for that someone to listen because, you know, we're thinking all the time, all, all day. And... A lot of times what people have is a 
is they, they assume that what comes out of their head in regards to their thoughts is always true. And, of course, with the notion of limiting beliefs and things like that, we know that it's not necessarily true. Beliefs in themselves aren't true, they're, but we act as though they're true. And so as a, as a, one of the roles of a coach is to be able to, to highlight that to them and then create a, 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 either a counterexample or start to give uh, um, shake up their certain thought pattern for them to be open to having another thought pattern, and you, you probably find that as a dating coach, when they when they accept an, a new thought and they put it into practice, their old thought can't actually occur again or, or um, can't be held as true again because they've got this new representation of a new idea, and uh, and that is that is notion of that is the part of the process of building someone's confidence is to build in new representations of what's true about them and their ideas and um and that's partly what why do i imagine you do as well i was thinking about a few things i was thinking that one about what you're saying the reality is yeah we we need it's kind of a combination of things we need to develop uh when we we all have like a framework or a paradigm or perspective or whatever that a, a way that we view the world and it has massive limitations based on I mean, based on our capacities, our experiences, uh, our, I mean, there's all, all these different factors. Um, but in, in the end, it might not be the, it might lead, not lead us to the worldview or in this case, we're talking about confidence, the level of confidence that we need in order to kind of communicate our ideas. So we, we, we need exactly what you're talking about, new experiences, new perspectives to help kind of or 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 yeah new experiences new perspectives to help this kind of thinking thinking evolve because in the story even where i used kind of that designer like he was lucky that he was in a situation where somebody took a moment to to listen to him or companies like google kind of developed this idea i think one is a recruitment strategy but um also as a consequence of um um, of like the the whole for if people are in the interest in the history of the tech, a lot of guys don't know, know this who listen to this. But my dad was in the tech industry, and I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, but like Xerox, for example, where they had all these brilliant genius people and developed some of the most uh, interesting um, ideas and technology at the time, which later Apple went and Steve Jobs went and stole them all and used it to start kind of Apple computer. But uh, they were, but Xerox was sitting on them. But if you're living in a uh, sitting on them and not using them, but if you're, um, and this is like kind of the perfect transition, uh, you. But if you don't work in an environment where you have people who are open, really people are going to judge you based on how confident you are. And so if somebody's listening to this and they want people to, they want to project more confidence so that people will be more confident in them and they can pursue and achieve whatever their desired outcome is. Um, what are some additional things that they can do uh, in order to become more interested in conversationless or to get over approach anxiety? Uh, what can they do to become more interested in conversationless, you're saying? Yeah. yeah, for example, I mean, that could be the first one. We'll start with that. Like, what, what can they do if they want to learn to talk with more confidence or be more confident in, in conversations? Yeah, so um, the first, I mean, the simple answer is to, is to be interesting, you know. Um, but, I mean, what does that mean? It means, you know, when I look at what I'm listening to on, on the podcast at the moment, I'm look, looking at people like Tim Ferriss and Robert Greene and Neil Strauss, to name a few. And, you know, when I look at why do I enjoy these guys, uh, listen to 
these guys is because they um, they bring draw upon many sources within the conversation, and you know, and that makes them interesting. And you know, if we if we then look on the other end of the spectrum, like what makes a bad conversationist is that the way I the way I see it is they don't bring anything to the party. You know, like if you go to a um, if you get invited to a party and you and they say, oh, bring a bottle, bring some food or whatever, and and um, and you know you bring some uh, and you bring some food. But if someone doesn't, that might be okay that time around. But if they get invited five times and they don't bring anything, then they're not going to get invited again. And that's the same within the conversation. If you don't bring anything to the conversation, then people aren't going to necessarily see you as an interesting conversationist. So when I look at um, conversation, I'm, I'm thinking it from the perspective of it starts before the conversation even starts. You know, I, um, look, be interested in a multitude of things and be... Um, and read around multiple areas. And, and so you, when you have the conversation, something will pop up that you can bring in. It makes, you, it makes it interesting. But then also, you've got to open up the space for that other person to be interesting. You know, if, you, if, it all come, if it's all about you, then, then the perception of the other person of you is, oh, well, he just talks about himself. You know, the, the first natural reaction isn't, oh, this guy's a really interesting person. It's this, this guy's an idiot. You know, he just keeps on talking about himself. <laughs> so you have to open up the space for them to be interesting as much as you're being interesting. Um, and going back to the thing about bringing in multiple vari- a variety of things, if you think about a lot of the, a lot of the, the crazy ideas that have occurred haven't come from within the industry that that you're coming up with the idea from. So, for example, um, I, I go and get a haircut with with with, with my mate Emilio, and we I like I like it because he's you know we just talk about training and, and women and stuff, and uh, he's. He's um, going for a competition uh, with L'Oreal in January, and I, while he's cut my hair, I'm like, "Where'd you get your inspiration from?" Like in regards to, in regards to the hairstyles, and he says, uh, "Just uh, in architecture, I get my inspiration from architecture, the shapes in, in uh, of the buildings and how they're formed and things like that." And when I look at that, I I, I, draw, I draw upon that in relation to how I, how I shape hair. And now, if he just said, well, I'll just, I'll just read hairdresser magazines, of course, then he, it'd be interesting. But because he's added that extra dimension to it, it becomes more interesting. So when you are looking at how to be an interesting conversationist, don't just look at the conversation as being the main part. Look at it from your whole life, and that's what you draw upon. And, and that is or in relation to where where what are you doing like in your life are you reading stuff are you reading different things because all of that will come into the conversation i think you're totally on on point here um i mean just like one of the things i'll often tell people is is if they're having trouble uh having like kind of natural conversations there's a few things one there's usually an element that like if somebody says i don't have anything to say there's usually usually an element of anxiety that they don't think that what they have to say is good enough. Right. And, uh, that comes up a lot. And I tell somebody like you are 20 years old, you're 30 years old, you're 60 years old, and you don't have anything in your life that you could talk about. That's interesting. The the, the reality is that's bullshit. Um, the fact of the matter is that you just don't realize that the things that 
you have to talk about your life experiences are that people are, are going to think they're worthy of listening to and you're wrong. And yeah. uh, you just have to learn to connect to people. That's that's one element. And the second element I'll talk about is if you really have been on the planet for 50 years and you've done nothing, well, it's about time to get the fuck out of the house, right? So I want you to make yeah. a list of 10 things that you've always wanted to do. And then we'll, we'll figure out which one will be the easiest to do and uh, and which one will be the hardest to do. And we'll make a list and we're going to start going working through that list to do exactly what you're describing. Get, get out of the house because... Uh, that's where creativity comes from. And there's a story by Henry Ford where uh, I'd heard the story by Henry Ford where they said that when he st- one of the ideas he had for mass production for uh, Ford, Motor Co- Ford Motor Company, which became the biggest automotive maker in the world and was for a long time, um, and he became one of the richest men ever to, to, to walk the planet Earth, was a consequence of him walking through uh, a meat pack uh, was it a, a meat packing plant or something like that where he saw them put a carcass and that each of the butchers maybe it was a butchery or something where each of the butchers would cut off a different piece of meat and or a different steak they specialized and at that time people were building automobiles from scratch all the way through um they're building the whole the whole car, but it took so long. It goes back to like kind of Adam Smith's wealth wealth of nations, like the pin story where he walks into a pin factory and sees each person making a different pin because they say, well, one person might be able to make fifty, a hundred pins a day, but when you have a, everyone doing something specific, you can make tens of thousands of them. Um, but these I- ideas are a consequence of exactly what you're talking about. He uh, creativity, uh, create the creativity of solving the problem differently came from different sets of experiences. So I think I think what you're saying is right on. Yeah, I mean, like, um, like we're we're listening to um, something at the moment by uh, Kelly Starrett, who has who owns CrossFit San Francisco, and he's got he's got well, he's got everyone there. He's got Tim Ferriss, Ryan Holiday, and all those lot going down there. But what he's talking about is that the age of collaboration, and uh, he he's he said that at his gym, he's got powerlifters talking to. Um, yoga practitioners and then uh, learning ideas from each other and he said that you didn't know you didn't get that you didn't, you never really got that in the past they would everyone would stick separately to themselves um, but as a result of him or, of notion of CrossFit um, but also from the the philosophy of his gym these guys are coming together and you're learning new things as a result of it because you're learning the ideas that come from uh, yoga you learn the ideas that are coming from powerlifting, and you're getting something new as a result of it and uh and you know that can only be a good thing (laughs) you know it's awesome man i I think of when as you're telling that story i thought about have you ever seen the movie pumping iron with arnold schwarzenegger I haven't no, but I, I know it's a good I, I know it's a good documentary from what I hear. Yeah, so I mean, here's this guy who's like maybe the biggest person like as far as muscles in the history of humanity, right? Um, I mean, I think he was taking like horse uh, testosterone to do it, but um, he, he uh, in, <laughs> the mo- in the movie <laughs> in the movie he's going to uh, ballet. Yeah. Because although he's this huge, massive guy, he wants to make sure that when he gets up on stage and he's posing, <laughs> that he has, uh, yeah, that he, yeah. he's also natural and yeah, his absolutely. movements are are fluid. Because who has more fluid uh, movements than a ballerina? Well, I mean, just for an example, I've um, you know, I'm, I'm 
heavily into psychology and, and, and things like that and, and you know like and and bringing all of that into the confidence lounge but as a result of of me uh what i do in the training and uh, personal training i know that you're you have a, something called a neutral spine where you have um your shoulders back and down, your pelvis is neutral, and that creates a straight spine. Okay, it, the result of people working in offices sitting down means that their means that their pelvis is off center. Either it's tilted or it's um, posterior, which means it's going the other way, and your shoulders are hunched over. Now, if you look at body language uh, and people in regards to what you would you would call alpha, but um, basically just standing straight and with a chest out. Um, it's, it's shoulders back and it's shoulders back, so everything's open. All your all your major areas are open. Your shoulders are back. Your arms are by your side, and you've got a nice straight back. And you look at those people. You look at people that have that. You know, God, he must be in the military or something because they've trained that. Um, but if you're because I know that I know that when I'm looking at body language, I'm like, well, this guy's shoulders are naturally hunching forward anyway because of his day job. So you need to focus on on that, and you need to look at his his um, pelvis to get that neutral again and straight spine. Else, what's going to happen naturally is that he's going to hunch over again. He may read it about body language, but as soon as as soon as that person goes out of his awareness, he's going to hunch over again because that's his natural pose, and. Um, and because I've done the training in in in, uh, in personal tra- fitness training, I know that, so it's something that I can add to add to what I'm talking about. And uh, and again, that can only be a good thing. Well, I, it's funny. I took a um, a few years ago. I took this body movement class, and one of the things that the woman said that resonated with me was, she said, if you take a skeleton right and you hang it from a string, and you drop it down towards the feet where the feet touch the ground that's how your body should naturally stand yeah right it should your feet should be about shoulder width apart uh your feet should be flat on the ground uh you should with a weight spread out over your feet your shoulders should kind of hang you should be open your back should be straight and and I, and I got that picture in my head of this kind of skeleton hanging by a string with its feet flat on the ground its knees slightly bent and then she talked about um, like the idea of if this is what it's supposed to look, think about all the people that you meet or see whose body is out of alignment. Yeah. Right. So they're they're because of the tension. They've had so much stress. Their shoulders are 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 tensed up. It's changed the way they position their shoulders. They're not like the skeleton. They uh, are they're trying to stand so tall that their their ass is locked in. And their their knees are not bent like the skeleton, so they're carrying tension like in their lower back. It's affecting their back and and their their upper legs. Their um, like I mean, you could probably give way more examples than I can because you're an expert in this field. If oh, I mean, I mean a, a simple trick, if you if you've got a bit of a belly on you, neutralize your pelvis. You know, because if it's tilted forward, it's pushing your belly forward. So if you've got a bit of belly fat going on, if you neutralize your pelvis, your stomach comes in almost automatically. Um, so that's a quick trick. <laughs> so wait, how does a guy neutralize? That's because that's where I was getting. Like some guy sitting, who knows how it got uh, their body got out of position, but somebody's out of position, and they think that the only way to do their do this is to like go get uh, acupuncture and have a pe- bunch of people poke them with needles. Like how do you? <laughs> How do you, on your own, sitting in your sitting in your car or standing in your bedroom? Yeah. How, what can some guys do in order to 
get the, the body uh, I mean, it's hard to say over audio, but essentially, what it is, if you if you've got a, a tilt at your lower back, and then it's pushing it's pushing your stomach forward. And um, now, when when you say when you say to some people, move your pelvis, move your pelvis uh, isolated from the rest of your body, they're like, I haven't got a clue what you're on about. Um, because they've lost that neurological um, connection through through not through um, mainly sitting down a lot a lot of times. Um, one thing one thing you can do to try and get that movement back is if you do lying down bridges and you bridge up, the bridge, um, push your hips up, so you're squeezing your glutes and hamstrings, and then slowly go down. So almost imagine that each vertebrae is touching the floor individually, okay, and then tilt it so you're you'll be able to put your hand. Th- um, through the gap between your lower back and the floor, okay? And then when you're about to bridge up again, close that gap and then bridge up, okay? So um, it's creating a tilt in your lower back and then bringing it back to the floor to bridge up again. And that just that is just allows you to get to start to feel the movement of what that should feel like. And then, and then you would go from there. But it's hard to describe over audio. <laughs> uh, as you're sitting here, I'm like tightening my stomach and like uh, like trying to bridge. And so, but I, I think this is great. Um, and maybe we can put some links to some videos or something as we kind of finish as when we release this because I think this is really important because there is a very close connection to body language and confidence. And I'm hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. They, so the the way that I describe it is that. Is that body language is 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 the perception that you create without even opening your mouth? So it's the first thing. Is sometimes the first thing that someone will see of you um, is your body language um, before you open before you open your mouth. So it is it is very important because of that notion. So body language is all related to um, how can I say it? So. I did an improvisation course, uh, I think last year, and there's a guy within the theatre circles called Keith Johnson, and he was he was a, uh, a teacher within theatre, and he was when he was looking at the uh, his performances of of his students, he wasn't quite happy with with how they're performing, and at the time he was reading a lot around um, Desmond Morris's work, which is anthropology, and so about body language of um, of apes and things like that. So he was talking a lot about high status and low status, and uh, he started to incorporate some of these high status and low status uh, personas within his performances of his students. And what he found is that it brought a new life into the into the performances. So when I did the when I did the uh, improvisation course, there is something called uh, the status games, where you do a, you do a set performance, and on one of them you you act as though you're low status, and on another one you act as though you're high status. Now the funny thing is, is that you don't, is that they don't teach you, they tutor you on what low status and high status is. But the thing is that everyone acts in that way. They don't need a they don't need prompting to know what that is. And the, te- the thing that tends to change is how the person holds himself. So they'll naturally, when you say high status, bring their shoulders back and down, bring their chest higher, um, tilt their head back a bit more rather than looking down and be more open. And as someone that's lower status will, will carry over a little bit more, maybe their shoulders will come forward, their head will go down, the eye contact will reduce dramatically. And 
what you find is that a lower status person will um, will reduce space, where a higher status person will increase space. And the thing is, is that it doesn't necessarily mean that that person is um, a higher role in power in in like uh, society power. And uh, and the lower status person is, is the lower level. It, it's just the way that they the way that they act. And the, and the way that you respond to that will be completely different. So when I uh, talk about body language, a lot of it is down to um, a lot of it is down to status roles in relation to how you think in your mind as well. I think this is wonderful stuff. There's a story a friend of mine who's a journalist told me about Marilyn Monroe. Who Marilyn Monroe was just kind of uh, walking down the street with a friend and blending in, and, and the person said, "Well, I can't believe no one recognizes who you are." And she goes, "Well, I can change that." And she changed her body language, and people started recognizing her uh, because she wasn't walking the way Marilyn Monroe, the character that we all think of, walks. Because I mean, most people don't walk like that. We all have our kind of moments where we slouch a little bit or we're off. She said that just by shifting her body language, people began to recognize her. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like it, it, within, the, within the gym environment, you know, if you stand back and just look at it, sometimes it's out of, straight out of a nature show. You know, you could have David Attenborough narrating on the background because you see, you, see you see the way that, that, that people react. Um, especially around the freeways area. They're regulars, you know, they, they've kind of made their spot you know they've made their mark and then you have if you have small if you sorry if you have newer people especially if they're um they they're a bit unfamiliar with gym environments then they then you can see in their body language that they they try and um reduce eye contact you know they might be and they might make their their posture smaller they might go into the corner area so they're not they're out of the way a little bit whereas the guys who um more used to the area um, that they're throwing weights around and they're, you know, they're, they're walk, they're kind of strutting around and things like that. And then, you know, if you, if you read, um, if you read some books in relation to um, chimp behavior, uh, so um, maybe some gifts, games, primates pay, uh, play and um, are in ape. That's two real good books. All Jane, all's, all Jane Goodall's books are awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, that, all, all of those ones. So you, uh, you, you see similar behaviors, um, that relation to it. I mean, there's, it's not a complete crossover, but it's still, you still see a lot of um, similar um, behaviors in relation to that. But this very underlying stuff, it's not, it's not, it, it, it's not something that, unless you read around it, it's not something that, that generally people pick up on. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, 
check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. It helps when you read a book. Like I remember I read uh, In the Shadow of Man, and I can't think of her other book, uh, but they start defining these character or these these qualities. And when you see them in a book or you read them in a book or somebody explains them to you and they take something that that we all kind of feel but can't articulate. Yeah. And they and they articulate it. It, it leads to this like much greater understanding. I mean, you're talking about the gym, but I'm thinking about guys going out to a bar and, and breaking eye contact down or not holding eye contact because they don't feel comfortable in the environment or a guy's on a date because they feel uncomfortable around a girl they're attracted to or don't know uh, or on a job interview and they go on the job interview and they feel uncomfortable because the person is sitting in a bigger chair across from them slightly higher looking down on them and uh, and they're not familiar with the environment uh, in addition to feeling judged, right? So and this is the thing about the whole um, stasis role. Because if if we take it the other way around, and you got some guy sort of uh, may have read high, about high status and low status, and he rocked on up in his um, in his work in his workplace, and in front of his boss, you know, sits back and puts his legs on the table because his boss does it. This boss ain't gonna, the boss isn't going to go. That's a fellow, a higher status guy there. He's going to think he's right, idiot. And this is the whole um, situational status thing: is that is that you is that you don't necessarily follow the the same roles as your boss does, but you. About the same time, you don't go real lower value because if you go in there looking really low, apologizing all the time, and and, and you know, shoulders hunched over, and never getting eye contact. That's give give him one message, but if you go the other extreme, where you where you try and give him high fives and you know, sit back and you put your legs on the table because he does it, that's going to create another impression that's not necessarily not necessarily any more positive. So it's a it's quite an advanced concept that, but it's still something to uh, put in play. But it's it's um it's, it's quite an, it's very interesting area. I often say that the secret to seduction is knowing when to push forward and when to pull back. And exactly. <laughs> and and we're talking about seduction, not just like seducing if you're seducing women or uh, somebody's trying to seduce men, seduce men, whatever. We're talking about seduction life. How do you get? I mean, life is a social sport, and and for the people listening to this podcast, I think both of us want them to be really good at this game. Absolutely. And how can you get good at it? But that's the thing. I mean, like in relation to in relation to seduction, I kind of dip in and out of the you know, um, reading around that area. But you know, I, I wrote an article recently about the um, um, the things that you can learn from pickup artists, even if I saw not, that article. Yeah, you, yeah, even if yeah. you're not um, interested in pickup because there was a there was a, um, a TED talk by a lady. Um, I can't remember her name now, but she she basically went over to she she's a dancer and she goes over to Cuba um, to learn from all the dance uh, famous dance people and she was talking about the the seductive nature of the Cubans in everyday life and she was saying that you know the notion of seduction you can bring in into everyday life even if you're not interested in picking up the person it's like this playful conversation this playful interaction that you have with people and you can bring that anywhere. You know, you can bring that in the workplace. You can bring that in a, in your daily interactions. Um, it's it, it, it's kind of like where you direct the where, where you direct it. You know, you can use a 
you can use a, a, a knife to to cut through steak, or you can use it to kill someone. You know, it's all in, all in the area of the intent. So the stuff that you learn in pickup or in seduction, you can bring that into the workplace, just dial it down a little bit, but the concepts are still the same. And, um, and, and that's why I tend to, the philosophy that I tend to have is that you can, you can learn from anyone. Uh, you, can, you can learn from anyone, just look at the underlying structure of what's in play, and you don't have to apply it to, to the way that that's being applied. Was it Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich where he talks about this idea of transfer of sexual energy in business? I think that was the book. Uh, I can't remember for sure, but it's one of, it was one of the very classic kind of business books, and they talk about the importance of using sexual energy to to be successful in life and, and business and and they weren't really talking about like trying to sleep with everybody you meet they're talking about exactly what we're talking we're we're talking about here having that energy or that you so eloquently pointed out having that energy to when you enter an interaction to be playful to be fun um so i think that's really really a, a, another great point um so something else i want to talk a little bit about is is uh like guys who like goals, right? So we're talking a little bit about confidence and I feel like a big part of that is having, having goals. Um, because how, how, like how, how, uh, how else are you going to increase your status unless you're moving towards something? Do, can you talk about this or, I mean, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you have, I'm sure you have opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So I always, I always say that, uh, confidence is a result. It's a result of everything that's come before it. Um, but at the same time, it, uh, confidence is uh, the certainty that you can handle what life throws at you. And in order for that to occur, you, you have to have um, base level examples of what you've uh, of, of what you've done before or what you're aiming for. Because um, I always I always say that you can have you can have confidence. But if you just sat down on, on your sofa every day, then it's not really, it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, if you're just sat on your sofa playing World of War, uh, World of Warcraft every day, that, that's great, you know, that, that's fine. But if you're, but in relation to confidence, uh, we're social creatures, you know, so we, so we go out there and we're, um, you know, if we, if we don't direct that anywhere, then, then I don't, I, me personally, don't, don't think it will last that long. Um, so I have this. I have this confidence model that I that I, I have, um, and the reason why I, I, I created it was because there was a there was a study that was done on graduates that were coming out of, of university. Um, I think it's college over in America. I think, um, and what they found was that a lot of these graduates had a high level of confidence, um, but when they tested them on things like uh, reading. Uh, writing, arithmetic, all those things, they found that actually their competence level was a lot lower than like 20 years ago when it was tested. And what they're starting to find now is that is that um, a lot of people are coming out with a high level of confidence, but it's not necessarily what I call real confidence. It's built, it's built on a, sh- a shaky foundation. So the confidence model that I have is it has four areas. Um, thinking, so this is your, this is your everyday thinking skills, but also the perception that you have about the world. Um, competence, because it is important, your skills and knowledge. Uh, social intelligence, because we're, we're social creatures. And I always go back to the story of um, Van Gogh versus Picasso. You know, Van Gogh 
was in a halfway house and they wanted to get rid of them. Um, and, uh, you know, modern day living, he'll probably class as mentally ill. But back then, they, uh, they, want, they didn't want nothing to do with him. And he, and he you know, I think he died poor. Um, com- uh, compare that to Picasso. Uh, he was holding parties. He was getting laid a lot. You know, he was much, much a social animal. And he, he was pretty wealthy during his life. And this, this was all in relation to social intelligence. And something I read, I read um, Taylor Swift last week, she did a Wall Street Journal article. And what she was saying is that nowadays, um, she's seen artists that have been signed purely based on their, their social quota, i.e. how many Facebook... Social media following, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as opposed to someone that might have an equal talent, but isn't uh, doesn't have as much of a following, so I, I sometimes say that confidence, uh, sorry, competence isn't king anymore. Uh, not saying that it's not important. It's just the whole host of other things that are required. And then the last factor is the risk resilience factor. Is is that if you don't take any risk, then you, you're in you're in your comfort zone. And uh, they found that a lot, uh, quite a high quota of people these days are quite risk averse and. Partly that's to do with the recession and, and how that was portrayed, like the people being over risky. But that doesn't necessarily mean that risk is bad. It just means that you're, um, you know, you don't you don't necessarily take a risk that might might uh, cost you your home. But small risk, like going up to someone and speaking to a stranger or something like that, that's that's something you can you know fall, you can you can live with if it, it turns out bad. And this resilience factor. Is that these days a lot? There's a lot more case of people. Say, for example, the tech industry. Yeah, you you have you have these guys that are um, just putting together an app, uh, throwing it out there and seeing if it works. If it doesn't work, they'll scrap it and things like that. Now, if you look at something like Angry Birds, that was the 53rd attempt at making something. So that's a lot of failure along the way. If you don't have a certain resilience, then you might quit after the 20th go. So. When I talk about real confidence, it's all based around those four areas, I find. And, and that's real confidence that's built, built on a strong foundation as opposed to just say, someone saying, yeah, I can, take, I, I, can, I can make an impact on the world, I can take on the world, but you know, the first thing, as soon as the first setback occurs, they're, you know, they're, 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 <laughs> they're, in the, they're in the corner in the fetal position. Like, you know. This is an excellent model. I mean, I, I'm, I interview people all the time and I'm, I'm looking at these um, thinking or perception, competence, emotional intelligence and risk resilience and, and such a great model because I feel like it's built on essentially general truths. Yeah. Uh, the idea that you have to be able to think about the situation differently, right? So for example, guys listening, they see a woman that they want to attract, they, they want to uh, approach, they're attracted to, you can't go up and say, you, you can't come in with a mentality saying, what can I say that I, that she'll talk to me? Because you have no control over uh, what's going on. Maybe she's in a rush. Maybe she's meeting friends. All you can do is, is actually take the risk, as you say, um, like risk resilience. You can take the risk at the end, but you, you've got to have a cognitive model or a way to think about uh, whatever it is that you're going to do, that's going to be healthier. In the Angry Birds example, you say, uh, well, okay, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to create a product and we're going to keep refining it until it hits. Yeah. Um, either that or we we find out it's completely dead in the water. And in that case, we're still just going to shift directions. Like, uh, But you have to go in with you can't go in with this like all or, or all or nothing uh, mentality. Everything is either success or failure. You got to come in with a different perspective. And I think that that's important. Um, the next element you have competence 
it's so important. People who who like kind of tell themselves affirmations over and over and over, but they don't take the time to attempt to build the skill set. There, it's a fantasy. You're in fantasy land. You're like it's like you can't like it will it will get you going. It might be the catalyst to kind of move you in a particular a particular direction. Uh, so, but it's not it's not grounded in anything and in, in, in real. Yeah, I mean, like when they stu- when they studied. Um affirmations from why I believe it's they found that affirmations work best when you already believe it so it's almost like an entrenching thing rather than a, an actual um formation thing so if you've got someone that's um uh low confidence and they say uh, and they say every day I'm getting more and more confident that may be true, but that's not necessarily the best thing for that person to think about at the time. Uh, for that guy, it's more a case of what am I? What shall I do today in order to become more confident? Okay, uh, how many people should I speak to today in order to be more confident? As soon as you get to um, uh, maybe like your level of of, um, of confidence, where um, you know you've, you've been well practiced at it, yeah, by all means use affirmations because it's already entrenched in it already. It's just a, it's just further ingraining it. Um, but if you've got someone at the very beginning, I don't think affirmations are the best thing for a be- for a beginner, uh, for a, someone at the very first level. Um, but that's my that's my opinion. <laughs> I think I think question I think questions are a much stronger aspect. Uh, for a person to do, but because it also, when you have a question, you, you it forces the brain to find an answer. Um, so if you say, uh, "What can I? Uh, what can I do today?" or "How many people can I speak today?" Um, that can increase my confidence further. And then we're like, "Well, okay, well, I'll speak to five. I've got a busy day today. I'll speak to five people." But if you like every day, I'm becoming more and more confident. That that's a statement that you're either going to believe or you're not going to believe. And if you don't believe it, that's just going to make you feel worse. Uh, and that's my that's my um, variance in relation to questions versus affirmations. Years ago, I used to read this guy Zig Ziglar, and he's like a sales motivational speaker. He's no longer alive, but he um, had really good content. And he used to have a saying that success was the consequence of when preparation met anticipation. Mm, absolutely. And, and it's I think it's true. And and uh, and so. This idea that like you're like I want to be someone says I want to be a great singer right or I want to be a great computer programmer or I want to be a great dancer, um, okay so you can you can think that way but unless you actually go out and you go out and and you and you dance all the time and you program all the time and you do whatever it is that you want to get better uh, better at unless you do that consistently and you build those muscles you build that skill set through trial. Uh, error, observation, correction, you continue to kind of improve, uh, improve the process, improve yourself, improve the skill sets, then it's essentially kind of, I mean, it's, it's wishful, I mean, it's wishful thinking. Um, and, um, but I, I think that, I mean, even going through the rest of the model, this idea of emotional intelligence that, um, knowing when to kind of push forward, when to go back. And even the questions, you mentioned the questions, like if a guy walks up to a girl or, or, even before he walks up the girl, just talking to yourself. What if you ask yourself, "Why am I ugly?" Your brain's going to answer that. If you ask, like, "Why does my life suck?" Your brain's going to answer it. You're going to. If you ask yourself, like, "Why do people hate me?" You're going to answer it. If you ask, like, "Why the world is great?" You're going to answer it. Um, so yeah, there's so much great stuff here, man. Um, Thanks. 
Yeah, I think I think this is awesome. But you have a training uh, in kind of hypnotherapy, NLP. Did did that have an impact in the development of this model and some of the things that you teach? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the I mean, for one, they gear on, they gear on the brain anyway. But also, it's it's very much a. Sometimes you have in personal development, you have um, more philosophical aspects of of. Um, of personal development, and and that that's fine. Uh, can you can you give an example of that? Um, well, there, there's one that's come form, um, forward recently called Three Principles. Um, but you know, you can you can look at. I'm gonna say. Just just more in the case of uh, or, or just talking about authenticity and just following your heart and going uh, and going things like that and just. And I was I was thinking the secret, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the secret. Uh, is that a good example? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wish I came up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you have that, but the thing about the thing about NLP is very much a um, a directive uh, art, shall I say? It's very much a um, so even even the techniques that you have within NLP. They're very much directive. Okay, well, think 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 of a time, or you know, or, or see that see that circle in front of you. Imagine this, imagine that. So that it's very much a, direct in your brain. The reason for that is because, for one, it's teaching your it's teaching yourself that you can um, use your brain in a whole variety of ways, and you can't help but not um, get into to the mindset that even if you're thinking something, there's, there's, there's another way of thinking about it because you've been training in how to think differently in it. So, um, so when people talk about, um, being present and being mindful and, and things like that, I'm all for that. But because of my, because of the training in LP, I also know that there's no, there isn't any harm in thinking, in the past, and there isn't any harm in thinking in the future. It's it's the way you use it. So if you think, if you look at you know um, business leaders and presidents and things like that, they actually look into the past in historical cases to look at what uh, to look at structures of what's happening today. You know, you look at what you look at wars and things like that. You go, well, what happened in World War Two? What happened in World War One? And you know, they look on past cases as examples of of strategies uh, and um, and situations that are occurring today. And and that's all a result of thinking backwards. And if you drill, if you chunk that right down back to uh, back to the individual, um, you can see that by looking in the past, you can look, you can see examples of. Of what you did well in the past that you can utilize again today, and what you what you did not so good in the past that you can do differently today. And then, if you look forward, you can see what you what you um, what things that you can aim for, and things like that. And then, and also, the, then when you're in the moment, you you be in the moment. So there's, there's there's very much a flexibility in your thinking that for me came about as about as a result of learning NLP. And about learning also the, the vast importance of language, you know, how you how you use your language and how other people use their language. Can you talk a little about that? Because I think things like, for example, presuppositions, like what is a presupposition um, in 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 NLP. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah like some, some stuff like that, because I mean, I have a background, but uh, in kind of understanding, like, obviously, like I have a 
a lot of interest, as you can tell by this podcast. I started talking about all kinds of random things. Um, but I don't think people who are listening to this understand kind of what is NLP or how language patterns affect the way that they think, the talk, people communicate. Yes. So, uh, NL- so in my mind, NL- in the description, NLP is the study of, of subjective experience. So with regards to that, so, uh, subjective experience is the notion that you can have one um, worldview about something, but it's not necessarily the worldview of someone else. So and then NLP is looking at um, uh, model, models of how to utilize that. So the, the base level of NLP is about modeling. So to, looking at someone as, a, as an example of excellence and, and using and utilizing what that person has in order to uh, create a model that you can then, in theory, use that example. So presuppositions, for example, are, um, are assumptions um, so uh, assumptions that you can live by where you could potentially get a good result from. So, for example, uh, uh, the, the law of requisite variety. So, so the person that has the most uh, flexibility uh, is, the more, is the one that's most likely to get the better outcome. Okay? Uh, and so you have that. The meaning of the communication is the result you get. So both of those examples are putting you in in the position of responsibility. So if you have, if you're talking to someone and you, uh, and you come with the assumption that the meaning of the communication is the response you get, it's very unlikely that if you get the response that you're not expecting for you then to go, well, she's just, she's just stuck up. You know, she's just, um, she's, I'm much better than that person anyway. She didn't know what she's talking about or he didn't know what he's talking about or, or that, you know, that's very easy response, but uh, by coming with the assumption that the meaning of the communication is the results you get, you, it puts you in a position. It frames it in a way that you can then say, "Well, what could I? How could I do it differently? How could I frame that um, communication differently?" Um, there's a there's a guy uh, called um, uh, Steve Cohen who's a, called a millionaire magician. He's a magician in the Waldorf, so he, he does magician for millionaires, billionaires. Um, and one of his quotes from his book is, um, if it's something within your control, you should control it. Okay? So, uh, so I always have a persona that you can't make someone like you, but you can influence them liking you. And, and you should be looking at what you can control. And how, what you can control is how you frame your communication and how you interpret the results you get from that. Both of those you can, you, you can, you can control uh, because they're both coming from you. You can't make a person like you. And, um, and I learned a lot from that from NLP. I mean, this is wonderful stuff. Like, let's say you're having a conversation with somebody, right? Yeah. How would you use those same, conver- uh, same ideas, for example, to to lead somebody in a conversation uh, to lead them in a conversation. Yeah. Or like, how would you use these in a conversation? Right. So, I mean, we talked about this kind of in a macro level, but I'm, I'm interested in, and maybe you explain how somebody would apply this like to something specific, like talking to somebody, or maybe you can come up with another, another way that they could potentially use it, but yeah. just looking for some like specific applications and how somebody would do it. So the guys listening, gals listening could, could use it. Okay, so the first the, the 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 first thing I would say is that I wouldn't leave with la- I wouldn't lead with language patterns because okay. the, the whole notion of language patterns is quite a, quite a, a skill set 
I mean, like it, it was popularized by Ross Jeffries, for example. But if you look at, if you listen to Ross Jeffries, he's got it down to a T. You know, he's 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 got it nailed. And the reason is because he practiced it a lot. You know, so if he's speaking to someone, and he uses the language patterns that he, you know, he he can get away with it. But if you start, if you look at a language pattern and you say something like, you know, as, and as you start to think about what I've said to you, and you start to accept that then you can begin to move forward and we can have a great conversation together. Now, that's using language patterns, but that sounds a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. That doesn't sound as flowing. But the, the, the thing is, is that if you, if you begin to, if you begin to um, practice it and you begin to um, put it into your daily life, then, you begin, then the practices that you get from it, then they just come into... Um, they just come into the conversation naturally, and so as a result of that, you can have conversations where you can you can start, start tell stories, and you can you know you can see someone's point of view, and by taking those stories uh, and by understanding those stories, you can begin to then see someone's other point of view, and you can start to have a more flowing conversation. Now, I was using the if-then language pattern then, um, and, and you know a pace and a need in. Com- um, uh, language pattern, uh, but that that's something that just came naturally, and I didn't I, I didn't really want I didn't really um, intentionally use it, but because I've practiced um, language patterns and uh, and I, I use them in in conversation. I always use metaphors as well. You know, if you listen to if you hear people's metaphors, then that that's quite good things to learn. What what can you explain? Like a, yeah, an ex- uh, yeah, so, a couple. A metaphor would be something like, uh, I feel like I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. Or um, uh, one that I used in an article yesterday was um, someone saying, you know, in, in, this was in relation to uh, a, um, a coaching session, so it was a more of a problem state that I had. But they were saying something like, well, it just feels like, it just feels like I, I, I've lined up a load of dominoes and, and, and uh, and they started to they started to go down, and one stopped, and, and and the whole line of dominoes has stopped. And what he was saying was in relation to a um, a system that he wanted to adopt, and he wanted to follow that system, but something came up, and and uh, it meant that the system stopped. Yeah, so it's so he's using a metaphor to say that uh, I wanted to follow this schedule, but it, it stopped. Uh, and I and so my response to that is well you know the thing you think the thing about dominoes is that it's all in the preparation you know you line up the dominoes at the right space and when you've used the preparation to line these up in the right space and you and you've you've paid close attention to the to the spacing in between when you push that first domino you know with confidence that that whole thing will flow right to the end Okay. Now, because I responded within his metaphor, uh, he, he got it right away, which was you need to uh, you need to look at your preparation in relation to your system. Um, but if I just said, well, you just need to prepare more, you know, it wouldn't have had the same effect than if I just talked within his metaphor. Um, so, uh, and that is something that you can. Um, the first thing to do is to is to recognize uh, metaphors and people speaking, but that's um, what you're talking about takes kind of a keen, keen listening and getting out of your head, right? So getting out of your head, being in the moment, uh, giving people kind of, as we described here, the space to talk to the space to open up so that 
I mean, and even with the domino, domino model, I mean, moving back to your kind of uh, example of your, your confidence model, um, like, I mean, I, there were so many parallels even with that, right? Just like thinking uh, about the problem maybe differently and like building, in, in this case, the, uh, uh, the or, or even just thinking about it, like I want to line up, all, what I want is to line up all these, these dominoes and I want them to tip, each one to tip over. I am going to put in the kind of effort. Uh, your second step, it was being, what was it again? It was Kim, the second step of your confidence model. Right, okay, so you got the thinking. Uh, competence. Yeah, so you got the thinking, you got the uh, Com- competence. competence. Yeah, so in the domino model, it would be actually making sure that each domino is spaced uh, in the correct space in order to knock the next domino off. Uh, you have the emotional intelligence to kind of, or really the trial and error, yeah. the push forward, the push back to adjust the dominoes so that they are. And then you got to take the risk, right? Yeah. So, um, push the first one down. Yeah, exa- exactly. Right. So for the, the guys or, or whoever's listening to this, I mean, really like there's so many ap- applications, like thinking about what you want, uh, will being willing to put an effort to build that skill set, um, giving yourself the space to kind of make mistakes and make adjustments. Yeah. And one of the things that you said there about being uh, about being present, that there is something in the NLP called uptime and downtime. So downtime is being in your head. So if you were to if you were to think about a lot of people uh, who are uh, ang- who are, uh, experience uh, anxiety or social anxiety or just real nervous, um, they'd be very much in their head. So in NLP, you call that downtime. Mm-hmm. And, and there's there's um, there's value in that, you know, just in the right time, you know, um, there's value in, in reflecting and being downtown and being in your head and thinking about things. And then there's something called uptime, which is, uh, being present and being out of your head and, and just, uh, being in the moment. And, you know, so if you, if you talk about, if you think about someone that's really known as a real great communicator. And, um, so if we take Bill Clinton, for example, one of the things that they talk about with Bill Clinton is it just feels like, they are, um, it was just him and you in, um, in this bubble together and nothing else around you matters. Now, a common thing that happens when, when you have an experience like that is time distortion. It feels like, uh, it feels like time just goes fast and, and a minute feels like an hour. Okay. Um, now if you talk about, if you look at a lot of the things like rapport and stuff, some of the things they talk about is, is matching and mirroring. Now, I'm pretty much guaranteeing that when Bill Clinton's in that moment, he's not thinking about matching and mirroring. Yeah. You know, he's being utterly fascinated about the person and being in, in the moment and, and being um, present with that person. Now, one of the things that you can do um, to practice that is spend about five minutes or so each day just focusing on what's external to you. Um, so... Uh, if I'm in the room now, I can look at the, the picture that's in front of me, but I can also look at the detail within that picture as well, the variance of gray and, and, and white. I can look at the mirror. I can look at the, 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 uh, the effect of the light that has on the wall. I can look at the, the flooring, the shininess of the floor. I can look at the coffee cup in front of me and look at the detail in relation to, in relation to the holder uh, and how that's positioned against the coffee cup. You know, all of that is external to me, and I'm focusing on that. Um, in NLP, they'll call that submodalities. Um, and by focusing, uh, by just doing a five-minute practice that each day, what that does is that it teaches you to be outside your head, teaches you to be in the moment. And when you take that with it into a conversation, 
what you find is that you're not in your head, you're focused on the other person and being interested in what they say. Because um, one of the things I talk, one of the things I talk about is that it, it's kind of like comes from the sporting model, is that when you think about a sports person, like a runner, for example, or, or a fighter in, in, in UFC or something like that, they're not thinking about their punch or, 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 their, um, or their kick when they're fight, in the fight uh, moment. That, that, that happened in the practice. That happened in the practice time that they, in their fight camp beforehand. When they're in the fight, they're just, they're just focused on, um, a lot of times, on the muscle memory that they've created as a result of the practice. Okay, so they are, so, and it's the same for conversation. When you're in the moment, there's a time with confidence and conversation that you have to th- forget about all the things that, you, that, that you're practicing and allow uh, a part of your brain outside of your, your frontal cortex to take over. And that's all the result of what you've practiced. And, um, and you know, Bill Clinton would have been saying he's so practiced at it that, that he comes across as charismatic, comes across as a great conversationist. And he's probably not in his head at all. He's probably just focused intently on the person. This is wonderful. Um, Aaron, we're just about out of time. Uh, so I got to wrap this out. Thank, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been Fun. a pleasure, man. Fun. Um, and if you're listening, you want to learn more about Aaron, his blog, his, his coaching, um, the different stuff that he does. I'm going to post some links on the craft Christmas on website and within the description of this podcast. So you can find out about him more easily. Thank you again, man. No problem. It's dating coach Chris Lona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and kind of communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.